0: Well hello everybody this is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 145. So glad you could join me. We have Alexis V. Jackson as our main guest today. She'll be here in about 10 minutes. We're going to start with our Poets Respond Poet uh, first. But before we begin I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do it because we love poetry, and I know you do too. So please do click the like button, share, make sure you're subscribed. Click the bell for notifications on YouTube. Leave a review on iTunes or Spotify or um, whatever you can do on like Audible. or I don't even use Audible, but whatever you can do on that, um, click something to tell the computer that this is good content, and then other people see the content, and then everybody gets to see more poetry, which is what we're trying to do here. Uh, Now today's poet is Gordon Taylor. And uh, we have him right here with the poem, The Entertainers. And uh, here's Gordon right now. Hey, Gordon, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so glad you could join me. Um, so to start, just explain um, what inspired this poem and, and how it came to be. Like, when did you start writing it this week? And, and you know, how did the poem come to be?
1: Um, so a friend of mine uh, sent me this article about um, a, a teenager in Florida who um, uh, has been class president throughout his high school career, um, and uh, a member of the LGBTQ plus community, um, who became the valedictorian for his class. Um, And so there was a conversation that um, uh, Xander, who's the the boy in question, had with um, his principal. And the principal stated that um, that Xander could not mention his LGBTQ activism, uh, within his valedictorian speech, which essentially rendered uh, him speechless mm-hmm. um, on many, many levels, <laughs> um, and so this sort of led to me thinking a lot about my own um, my own teenage years and and learning and education um, in the late '80s um, during the the AIDS crisis, um, and I was thinking a lot about the slogan "Silence equals death," which is something that um, up used as a as a slogan um, uh, in support of activism um, for um for AIDS uh, folks um so um from there I started thinking about a whole bunch of things um all these sort of braids between um uh like historical figures like there there's some ancient Greek history and the in the poem, and uh, just the the tension between different generations. How, how different is today from back then in the eighties? Um, what is education? Um, and and this strange irony of of being a valedictorian, um, where your your main um, goal is to represent and speak. In fact, yeah, he- um, and to to be told to be told that you can't speak. And I, I started thinking about, you know, the idea of, um, you know, the supporting character versus the main character and who's allowed to speak and who's allowed to tell the story and who's allowed to have the stage, so to speak. And, and I started thinking about, you know, the, the metaphor of entertainment mm-hmm. in relation to that and in relation to my own sort of personal experiences as well.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to hear how the poem came to be, because it's such an interesting braid of different ways that you confront the topic through the different sections of the poem. Um, Do you want to go ahead and read it? The Entertainers. Sure. The Entertainers. Once
1: I was appointed alternate valedictorian in case the main boy got sick. I was a scholar of sex then, glossy man in magazines stacked at the back of a tobacco store on Queen Street. A guidance counselor scratched a penis onto a chalkboard, but never explained pleasure or HIV or how silence equals death, sign bouncing in a documentary we weren't allowed to watch. Plus, today, another valedictorian stares, speechless, into a Florida crowd. He can't say the word gay, and you show me a stone leopard in a book, poking through sand, memorial to the sacred band of Thebes, pairs of male lovers, elite warriors enlisted to defeat an army of Macedonians. It was expected they'd fight harder to defend ardent bonds. They were all slain at Cheronia, cameo concluded. Plus, once my brother hated me, though his smothering never succeeded, in my teenage bedroom, Floor littered with books and socks, magazines hidden in a box in the closet. His hands circled my throat when he shared a belief that the honor of loving someone means his voice belongs to you. You sound like a girl. Plus, today, my best friend's wedding winds on TV. I gripe about queer sidekicks in Hollywood movies. He has no arc. He speaks just to make the hero laugh. My husband hisses, quiet, you're ruining the film. Plus, you don't need this rage anymore. Our clasped fingers made of centuries of holding, our legs braided, a dialogue on our sofa, his own brother, our best man, but I still feel hands crushing my larynx. Plus, once I ran up an ancient green hill that tripped, dropping my spear, just here for you. You looked back at me, protective but annoyed. We reached a crowd of clanging and slicing at the top. I lost sight for hours in a scrum of shields and pink clouds, avoiding cuts, pretending to be dead beside your hushed head in the purpled grass.
0: Plus. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that poem. I'm glad you read the pluses. I was wondering if you would Um, because it's a part of it too and it's a subtle part that maybe people would miss Um, just excellent work and a really powerful moving poem thanks for sharing your experience and and making poetry relevant
1: thank you so much and thanks for giving the poem a voice uh, especially on this topic
0: yeah definitely my pleasure yeah take care thanks okay now we're going to take a quick break and we're going to switch gears and go to Alexis V. Jackson today's main guest so uh, hang tight and I will be right back And we're back. Thanks for your patience. As I mentioned, today's guest is Alexis V. Jackson. Alexis uh, is a Philadelphia born, San Diego based writer and teacher whose work has appeared all over the place in Poetry Magazine, Jubilant, etc. Um, she's a 2021 finalist for the Poetry Foundation's Ruth Lilly and Dorothy Sargent-Rosenberg Poetry Fellowship. Um, Erica Hunt selected Jackson's debut collection, which I have right here, My Sister's Country. Um, which Look at this beautiful cover. That's one of the, That's got to be the best cover I've seen in, in a, a long time. Um, as second place winner of Core Press Institute's 2019 Poetry Prize. She served as a reader for several publications, including Callaloo and Bomb Magazine. Um, she's lectured at the University of San Diego's English Department and taught poetry at her alma mater at Messiah University. And here she is, Alexis V. Jackson. hey Alexis, how you doing? Hello,
2: how are
0: you, Tim?: I'm great. it's been a, It's been a very busy weekend for me personally, but uh, but I'm so glad I love I love the rattlecast. I love just sitting here hanging out with a poet every Sunday, and uh, I didn't want to miss it, even though I was up to like two <laughs> last night after okay. a big literary <laughs> festival. but um yeah. but yeah, I'm so glad you could join me. Um, do you want to start us out with a poem?
2: Sure. Thank you for having me. I want to say that. Thank you to Rattlecast and Rattle and to you personally. um, And also a shout out to my press, Corey Press. So I wanted to get that out of the way. Um, I'm going to start with actually the first poem in the book uh, called Dear Mom. And it's hard because, of course, the listeners and viewers can't see the strike through, So I'll do my best to read them.
0: Oh, no, they can. Oh. They can read along. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the nice part about it.
2: Cool. All righty. Good. So then we're on the same page. Dear mom, you wanted me when God didn't, told me to love him anyway, told me you had no business acting simple with that self-censoring pause man. But I was a blessing, a blessing, mommy, a blessing, little girl, your blessing, my blessing. And all of this just was like, it was wanting to be something else, but it couldn't because you, you said it. But somewhere between leaving your house and asking God about him and him and him and him and him, you wanted me and God, he didn't. And I didn't know how to reckon that with my still being. Didn't know if that made you, you or God, God or God or her or her. Maybe I wouldn't be so close to textbook anxious if you'd done what he, God, said. Maybe I wouldn't be so sad about the word depravity and about sin sickness existing and about people pushing past kids for trains if you'd done what God said. If you'd done what God said, maybe you'd be happier. Maybe you'd be more like Christ and less like all the heathens, heathening without thinking about not heathening. Mommy, how do you look at your sin and love her? How do you teach her to be her and still need him who made you cry because of her, made you stop working with the church children because of her, made you think you not worthy because of her? I really want your answer because you him and him and her and her to me. And I need to know who to be someday. So if I want someone God doesn't, I can know how to answer like you, 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 Adrian and my blessing, my blessing, my blessing, my blessing, my blessing and know it.
0: And that was Dear Mom, the opening poem to this wonderful book, My Sister's Country by Alexis V. Jackson. And this is one of those episodes where it is great that, um, you know, there are listeners who um, are listening um, but for those who are watching, it's much. It's worth worth watching because um, there's so much um, play with the typeset that you do, and the the idea of um, um, highlighting in um, in like a what do you call it, like outline text of the um, of the the um, I think it's the black women and and um, girls' voices um, in the way that the Christ voice would be um, red lettered in a red letter Bible. Um, that's such a cool concept, and, and it really changes the reading experience in a fascinating way. That's one of the things that really stood out from the book, like the way you set it up and introduced that concept. And then the whole book has this great religious kind of feel to it. um, And sort of like a claiming a new religion um, is an aspect of the book where even, you know, a simple line has like a heightened meaning because it's, you know, placed in that kind of spiritual context. It's a really fascinating way to do a book. Um, How did you conceive of that? and, And what were you thinking as you were going into it?
2: Yeah. um, So the red letter part came up in a workshop when I was getting my MFA, and I had done it to one poem um, just to see like what people thought of it, and they loved it. Um, And it, I wanted to make sure it translated well, Mm -hmm. uh, and then they said it did. So of course that that stuck. And as I started to pull the other poems together, um, it was it was important to me to make sure people were aware of, like you were saying, there's a way that the the speaker in this collection is creating a new religion, right? Is saying, well, what I was taught wasn't right. <laughs> what I was taught excludes these voices or, or doesn't fully appreciate these voices. Um, and these voices are the foundation of what I was taught, right? Like I uh, received, they are the lens through which I received any idea of what a God or the idea of love is mm-hmm. um and so it was important that they be highlighted and heightened in that way um and so the red of course couldn't go to print because that's expensive <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> it definitely is yeah <laughs> so we did the outline instead um my editor and is amazing and so we did the outline instead and it, it works really really well um as well as the end notes so i think those two coupled together helped to bring that
3: through
0: yeah yeah for sure um um Let's see. Let's let's hear another poem. Um, what do you want? What do you want to read next? Um,
2: I actually was going to read the poem that's coming out in the next Rattle magazine, so I'm going to read that selection that I'm super excited to share.
0: Yeah, sure. And I should tell people at home. Um, you know, most of listeners are subscribers, there is a delay. So the, uh, the the we planned on this so that hopefully the issue would start becoming like tomorrow or or Friday, but um, our printer had some printing issues going on in the background, and there's a big. So there's like a two-week delay. So the, this issue is going to come out in about two weeks. And uh, let me pull up this poem, though, on uh, a PDF. So, so explain about what this poem, um, you know, how this poem came to be as I pull it up.
2: Yeah, so um, Wang Ping has a poem called Things We Carry on the Sea. Um, and I was inspired by that to write this poem, in particular, the image of a yellow vessel um, carrying immigrants and, and what that can mean. Um, and so, of course, then I thought about uh, from my own experience um, and my own history, chattel slavery and um, those vessels and what it means to be on the sea, um, as well as generational trauma and the like. So, this uh, poem is calling to Wang Ping's poem, but also calling to, um, I can see her name, I can't see her name, uh, Zong. There we go. <laughs> 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 I'm say Philip Zong, and so I'm imagining what it's like uh, for a child, and going back to a childhood memory for me, which is being in the water, mm-hmm. right, um, and rubber rubber duckies and yellow vessels in that way. But what does it mean to reenact trauma and to uh, have that trauma like in in you, even as a child? Um, and so that's what this poem's about: exploring that that world where all these things are true.
0: Um, and so here it is. This is our first look at Rattled, uh, rattled Summer Issue for people at home. And go ahead and, and read. Uh, go ahead and read it.
2: Okay, thanks. <clears throat> what we carry off the sea, Zong survivor's child takes a bath after Wang Ping's things we carry on the sea. It was Sesame Street, Ernie particularly, who taught me how to covet the company of a floating vessel. His duckling shaped and filled with air. Mine, always a ship-like boat, both always smiling and squeaking. Splish, splash, I was taking a bath. Ernie and I would sing, bing, bang, I almost saw the whole gang. A song about embarrassment, a song about being stuck in the water after invasion while the unwelcome party, <clears throat> excuse me, while the unwelcome party arrived while we are na- too naked and too surprised and too out and then we join them a splishing and a splashing on wash days when i was allowed to soap soak my body and hair you could catch me trying to float in the tub trying to be a life raft for the barbies Sh- lying in a row on my tummy tugboat would watch from the soap dish and the pink and green-haired trolls would take audience next to the spigot as I sang, to, sank to the bottom, nappy and nodded, a splash, small-bodied and black. How long can a child at sea hold her breath or float or try to float without a bright rubber boat, without the company of others, co-hoping to reach a friendly shore? How long does a splish and splash before she acquiesces. We was a movin' and a groovin', we was a rollin' and a strollin'. Why even here must all the dolls be black and the language be black? It is 1995. Do any still have to jump and sink, a splishing and a splashin'? How long does a body hold memory of a body? How often does a body reenact someone else's memory? how many songs and sounds tangle us in something like home where we have reason to greet sated water with nothing to covet
0: yeah and once again that is the uh, a poem from from the summer survival. it's about to come out what we carry off the sea zong survivor's child takes a bath and and it fits really well just with the context uh, of the book in general um you know that's it, a poem not in the book but um but the same themes come up. That's kind of, that kind of baptism, yeah. you know, a, a renewed baptism through like my own actual experience. Um, and I think I read that you grew up in a pretty strict um, Baptist um, household, right? I um, did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so how did that, and I'm always interested in, in how someone came to be a poet. So, so how did that, what influence did that play on um, you becoming a poet? And, and how just in general, like, do you remember the first kind of poem you wrote and, and how you came to be where you are now?
2: I do. Um, Thank you for that question. It's so layered and beautiful. Honestly, I think um, there's, so in my experience as a child, right, uh, going up and growing up in the Black Baptist church, um, for Black History Sundays and things like that, um, and even outside of that, right, there's this thread of connection to Black American literature. Um, So there's, of course, even visually, right, the picture of Martin Luther King Jr. that's on the wall, as well as like the picture of an imagined like white Jesus, sometimes not in every context. So we get those alongside one another. So we are reciting, you know, Langston Hughes, and Maya Angelo, and Claude McKay in church on Sunday, mm-hmm. um, as well as scripture and um, discussing the parallels between Moses and the Israelites and Black experience. Um, the themes of overcoming uh, what it means to have a God who doesn't give you the spirit of fear and allows you to fight in certain ways. Um, but there's also alongside that, uh, what this book uh, struggles with as well, even with your Mom, you can see that tension um, is also like what what happens to you know women in these contexts, um, how women's bodies are policed, how women's sexuality is policed. Um, and the grappling i had to do with that and poetry worked um really well <laughs> i think <laughs> yeah. uh, to, to get to those things but yeah my first poem ever written was actually along the veins of so i'm definitely heavily affected and impacted by and inspired by the um black arts movement my mother went to call. i have my mother to thank for that along with my upbringing but My mother went to school at Bucknell in in the 80s, so she was heavily influenced by Nikki Giovanni and all these voices and Sonia Sanchez, and that's what she taught me. So I was, you know, listening to these poems and having her recite them to me even like while she's rocking me as a baby. So Um, The first poem I ever wrote was along those veins called I Won't Stop Trying. And I knew it was good because my grandmama framed it. (laughs) She put it up. Yeah, she put it up in her house. I was in fifth grade Um, and it was a poetry exercise um, at my school, which was also a black Christian school. So Mm -hmm. same thing. We were learning um, Maya Angelou and Walcott and Langston Hughes. Like these are just a part of our literature curriculum um, alongside scripture and Bible verse and catechism and things like that so it was a writing exercise in class and I wrote it and the teacher thought it was good and I came home my grandma thought it was good and that was I would say the first poem I ever wrote and I was 12 I think mm-hmm. yeah that sounds right that's uh-huh. right yeah um yeah
0: and so so did you um you know think you'd be a poet the whole time like is that something no yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> no. so what was that journey like like how did you how did you come to you know as an adult become to be a poet
2: yeah, it's a funny story and a, a beautiful one at that. I'm gonna use that word a lot. But um I as a kid, I wanted to be m- my mom, basically. I was like, oh mommy goes to work and like wears a suit and looks important and <laughs> people come to her office. Uh-huh. So I knew I wanted to do something like that. Um and then of course being preoccupied with as many people are like making enough money to survive, being a writer just didn't feel like it was the right <laughs> path for me. Um so when I got my first, uh, second job out of college, my supervisor, Marion Bernardi, and is still very, very good friends. Um, she was telling me, you know, that she was trying to help me build a career, honestly. She's like, you're going to um, do research and sponsor programs. You should get your uh, master's degree in it. Mm-hmm. And I started getting ready to apply for these programs. And I was like, no, nah. <laughs> like <laughs> this isn't what I want to get my degree in. Like I want to study writing mm-hmm. and um, I want to study poetry and she's like okay if that's what you want to do but you need to start making steps toward that. that um, and I thought prior to that in college and undergrad I did a lot of personal essay so that's kind of where I thought I would hang out but mm-hmm. poetry like I told you the first poem I wrote was when I was in fifth grade so um, I think that always was gonna be my home and always was i just probably spent the majority of my life fighting it <laughs> trying yeah. to get a quote-unquote you know sensible career the way that many people are cultured including myself at the time um and so poetry had a home in me and then when i had to choose something to study that's what i wanted to do um and it just has worked out really beautifully and i don't regret any parts of it but yeah
0: yeah yeah that's great well we're, we're so glad you're you're here doing this uh, let's hear another poem
2: Sure. Um, I have Crooked Rome from the collection as well. I'm gonna go to that. Um, is profanity okay? Should I? Yeah, profanity
0: is fine. Okay. Uh, but what page number?
2: It's page eighteen.
0: Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. There's no. Uh, we put it on the um, you know, child. Um, you know, not for children. Viewer discretion <laughs> okay. advised. Good, so, good.
2: It's not yeah, riddled yeah. with it, but it's it's here. So okay. I just didn't want people to. Um, you know be offended in that way. Um this is a Zuhitsu. So a little background on this one. This entire book I consider an extended Zuhitsu. Um, Zuhitsu is a um J- <laughs> sorry, Japanese form of poetry. Um I think Shai him I think I'm saying her name right, um, is seen as the like mother of this form, uh, where she took, she was a court reporter and took different fragments of the day and some of the things from court and then put them all in this book and hid it in her pillow. Hmm. Um, hence the name the pillow book, which is what it was called when it was published. And I think there was a film too, but I digress. So what Zuhitsu is, is a form of poetry that takes fragments of anything. It could be something uh, my mother said, it could be some a newspaper um, headline, and it brings it together. And uh, I think it literally means sweeping brush. So it's less concerned with the subjects and more concerned with the movement through. Um, And I think this is a good one to read so you can feel that movement and experience what this form is capable of with me. Okay. Um, Okay, so Crooked Room. When I finally touch you, I won't ever remember holding my breath. These lengths of time like one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four M I... Cricket letter, cricket letter I, trace cricket letters down the lining of your jaw. Blue in the phase river clay, your ear ends taste like salt and vinegar and that's just fine. I still call you candy king and angel and baby love. We still talk about Fish River Canyon like Namibia's up the street getting redone, like they'll let us in after the reno. And about the ice cream canyon craters and my butter pecan that we can't remember who spoon carved playing spoons in the dozens with our legs laced together. Yo, mama so ugly, rice Krispies won't talk to her. Yo, mama so dumb she went to the dentist for a Bluetooth. Whose mama gave who? What crooked big and second shovel looking toe shit? I burned the bacon and you haven't touched my eggs. And Gwendolyn Brooks wrote something about burnt breakfast and bleak ballads of dark villains and milk white maids and You're already thinking of the Negro speaks of rivers and being born by the river. And I'm thinking of Vine's viral version, Rick, 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 I was born by the river, I was shaking that ass and it's been too hard living with nothing but the idea of you. I write these crooked poems with the idea of you when I'm worried about them having the wrong idea of you so you'll never come home. And from the crooked system cell, you'll write crooked letters, crooked letter I find. All transit lines lead to the end of the road and everything can lead to 90s RB b or a musical score trapped in the yellow brick, trapped in the yellow wall paper. Yellow or red boned is something I am not. Cooked marrow is closer to the true color of my skin, so you don't put me in songs or club sonnets. And that's just fine, cause I do. And I'm just fine until you reach for my waist. And I'm wondering why you want what doesn't make you sing. Why you want Lady in Brown, dark phrases of womanhood, half notes scattered, crooked down across crooked room. Couldn't figure out whose hand was on my thigh, but it didn't matter. I must have wanted it. I was the one who missed the train, who made the dinner, who wore the red silk and the whole smile and the waxed brows and the Nile and the Tigris and the Euphrates and Malaysian curly and the catfish and cheese grits thickness and dark red ribbons in my hair, milk tea on your fingers, the wood burns white all night. You pull in and out of me until I'm plump with love, round enough to eat. If I wasn't so damn fertile crescent-like, I'd be able to stop growing, to stop growing them, to stop producing cash, crop kids, more arid good land, to stop looking like good land, like Canaan, like Second Eden, like the well and the drain. Delta Sewarder said to count while my gum pops to make this part easy. I think of her with you here and I start inhale, counting, hunchback, hunchback. I saw a snake in my Bible between the beginnings. How strange to see it on legs, with arms and feet, handing mother a clementine, because it was jealous and just mean. I think I saw it in the Pledge of Allegiance and in the tent meeting, and strung between your hands when you laid them on lily blue and told her she'd be forgiven for dancing with Eddie Sherman, when all she was doing was dancing with someone who wants to love her.
0: And that was Crooked Room um, from... Alexis V. Jackson's book, My Sister's Country. Um, Can you talk about that concept of the crooked room? I think, is that Gwendolyn Brooks? Is that her concept or did she, who's, who came for that?
2: Um, So I was first introduced to it by Melissa Harris Perry Mm
0: -hmm.
2: um, from Sister Citizen. I think that book came out in 2015. I don't want to lie. But um, yeah, Melissa Harris Perry talks about it. It's... uh, based off of a field dependency study Mm -hmm. um, that they post-World War II field field dependency study uh, that they did with folk where they um, basically made the room crooked, like literally. Uh, And then they put someone in there to see if people would pick up on the fact that it was disoriented or if they would reorient themselves.
0: Oh, interesting. Mm
2: -hmm. You know, into the, the room. And so they found that a lot of people, would reorient themselves as much as I think. Like, oh, I'm bad at math. Uh, but 90 degrees.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, <nice. laughs>
2: Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, as as much as 90 degrees, so bend over it sometimes, just so that the room would make sense to them, so that it all
0: looked. Great. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and so, um, reading that in her book, she talks about shame um, and how how what role shame plays and how Black women see themselves um, as citizen. Um, and of course, the title of my book coming from that. Uh, with my sister's country. Uh, the idea behind that being black women once considered countryless property um, in America um, had to make country within one another. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of what that does, of course, choosing to and, and having to make country within one another is the reorientation, right? It is a thing we're not, we don't need to spend over in this way. We are considered, we are human beings, number one. We are, you know, worthy of citizenship. But yeah, so The Crooked Room comes from that and the idea of this entire book, and I think that's what Black literature and Black women's literature in America has sought to do since its very beginnings, um, going back to Phyllis Wheatley, right, is reorienting ourselves, saying, no, the room is crooked, it's not us, there's nothing Mm. wrong with us. Um, And so that's what I seek to do in this poem. Um, It's the reorientation, specifically in um, a romantic setting and discussing all the various ways that romantic love um, with a man in particular in this poem, uh, with a Black man, like what that feels like and the ways that it can um, be beautiful and is beautiful, but also can feel like a betrayal and ultimately ending with the idea of what um, like a pastor healing someone and forgiving someone for just looking for love, um, what that can feel like and how isolating that experience can be. Um, so yeah, that's where that
0: concept comes from. Yeah. It's so interesting. Um, how, how, how many layers that operates in the book, that sense of like reorienting and reframing and reclaiming. Um, mm-hmm. and, and also through the forms that you use, cause you use a lot of forms, but you break them. Like they're not, you know, they're, they're like, I'm going to make this form my own, um, is, is how you move through. Are, are all these things conscious decisions or is it just stuff that happened organically? Cause there's so many elements to it that, that, I mean they seem like they're they're intentional, so how much how much of those kind of things are organic or is this just the way it's playing out spontaneously?
2: Yeah, no, I think um, I think most poets that I've spoken to and even heard from would agree that it's always both right it's mm-hmm. um once you read enough and or you know what's enough, but once you've read enough, I guess I have this in your arsenal for like a better term right now um. That, that kind of stuff can come through like without even thinking about it because you practiced it and read it so much. Um, for me, uh, so I knew I wanted the poems when I was writing this. I knew I wanted them to be a book, but I didn't know which ones were gonna make it or not. And I also had a professor tell me, excuse me, that uh, Lynn Melnick, she had mentioned that we're all writing you know, the same poem and she heard that somewhere. So all poets are writing the same poem over and over again. We're trying to get a, yeah, <laughs> the same thing. Uh-huh. Um, So I think it was easy for those to naturally come through and the poem is going to be what it's going to be. But when it came to forms like the sonnet, the pantoum, this one in particular, the zuhitsu, um, I did set out to write them. Like the pantoum in this book actually wasn't initially a pantoum, but Mm -hmm. the form made the poem make sense because it was not working (laughs) before (laughs) I put it in that form and exploded it. So yeah, I think some of it, definitely poems kind of took, a life of their own on, but um, majority of the forms you see, like even the playlist poem, that was me intentionally doing that. Like I wanted to um, have the form allow for certain ideas to come through.
0: Yeah, that, that interplay is always what's so fascinating about poetry. Because in a way, like a poet or a poem is like your own unconscious trying to tell you something.
2: No,
1: you know? And so, and
0: so yeah. and it can't get the message across. So it keeps trying in different ways. And then they kind of mingle into some, you know, huge creative project, which is just always cool to see. Um, and I think it, it's very apparent in this book. Um, so if anybody has any questions for Alexis, I'm just a reminder to pass them uh, on in the chat windows, either on Facebook or YouTube, not Twitter. I ignore Twitter. But um, on Facebook or YouTube, leave any comments and I will pass them along or, or questions, I should say. Um, but let's hear another poem.
2: Sure. Um, I have It Shouldn't Have to Be True. That's on page 64. Okay. And I don't read this one often. So I'm excited to read it today. Um, And this one is called... Well, I said that, but it's uh the... I can't think of what that's called. But the italics uh because of balaam's donkey numbers 22 21 through 39 um that's important as a church girl for me to talk about because i've heard um many a black woman preacher talk about it um from the perspective of so with balaam's donkey the idea is you know balaam is trying to go somewhere he shouldn't go and then god uses the donkey finally to like tell him to, to speak through him um and i've heard many women uh when Black women preachers, when discussing women's ordination, use that particular text to say, well, God can use a donkey. Why couldn't God use a woman? Um, And so this poem is after that in terms of like thinking about God using a woman to talk and speak about these things, but also um, what it means to be relentlessly attempting to tell someone something and them refusing to hear you. So it shouldn't have to be true. I do not understand the wind in my chest, the way your control of it moves mountainous regions I miss photographing. Tell me, how did you fashion my tongue? Was there an invisible carving knife lying on my navel with instructions on how to shape my hollow? Telling you to march around me until you got the sound of breaking cypress and the smell of your favorite citrus and the scratch of a coughed up whisper. An angel asks for your blood. I've been telling you, an angel asks for your blood. Beloved, your path is a reckless one. Tell me, how did you fashion my tongue? Let me learn it. In the diner, you tell me my questions about the nature of lust and the source of love and the need for love from Black women are nonsense. In the car, you say my confusion about the body is childlike. In the hallway, you state that I know nothing about what I'm saying about myself, how to shape my hollow, and the scratch of a coughed up whisper, and the smell of your favorite citrus, and the sound of breaking cypress telling you to march around me until, when I was 15 and found the breath to say, you hurt my feelings when you say that, you said, stop girling. Was there an invisible carving knife lying on my navel with instructions on how to shape my hollow. Bodies of African women were translated as a type of data used in the freedom of men. African women were translated as data type of freedom, bodies used, the way your control of it moves mountainous regions, I miss walking. I love you, 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 you. all the wind in my chest, and the cypress branch in my throat,
0: they That was it. Shouldn't have been true. Um, again, from my sister's country. Um, I think it was on. The um, Core Press website that I read an interview with you. We were talking about um, imposter syndrome and being yeah. at a, which is something I think we can all relate to. Um, you know, I, for me, being an editor it was like, what the hell am I doing? Like, how am I, <laughs> especially when it's like I'm picking poems from people who are like much more experienced and have been around forever and I've read their books before I even uh, became, you know, some of the first poets I read, I'm deciding which poems of them are worth publishing, which is strange. Um, yeah. And so I think that happens to everybody. But how, how did that affect you? Um, Um, And and why was that an important thought to you?
2: Oh, man. I mean, it's something that I feel I would say maybe about as recent as three months ago that I've just started to absolutely shake. Um, (laughs) I think it's real for most people. But, um, yeah, I think like you were saying, Tim, that there's a way that um, I have so much respect for poetry as a craft. Um, like even the idea that I have a book out is like wild to me (laughs) so I'm still like oh my gosh people wanted to publish my work Um, but I also think it was a part of the trouble I had with even being comfortable putting the work out initially Mm -hmm. and I have a poem that I'll I'll read that talks about that but a little bit but yeah just like who am I are people going to find out that I'm like you know, not Gwendolyn Brooks, like, do this. and I'm like, no, people already know you're not <laughs> Gwendolyn Brooks, they're just <laughs> expecting you to be you, right, but yeah, I think that that also was a big part of why I didn't fully embrace poetry as, like, uh, what I wanted to do with my life for a while, because of course, like, well, you know, if I'm not going to be great, and that's my own little, you know, Sagittarius <laughs> pressure uh, that I put on myself sometimes, but if it's not going to be amazing, I don't want to do it, and Um, People are going to find out that I'm not amazing at it. and What is that? And I think um, being a writer uh, means that you, I mean, uh, James Baldwin said this, but being a a writer means like you can't, you just ultimately like can't do anything else. Like if you would, you could, right? And so ultimately, I think that poetry and the writing just continue to be relentless and chasing after me. And um, I'm grateful for it because it's always been there but um, something inside was just like, yeah, shut up. And I, I told you what that was, right? When my boss was like, okay, with your life, this is what you're going to go study in this manger. And something inside me was like, nah, like <laughs> there's there's something else that I really want to do and I've been putting it off. And I'm grateful that I had that realization at that time. But um, yeah, even with publishing now, like it's it's me saying like, no, 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 this work is, is pretty fire. Like the work is, is, dope in its own way um but that came with a lot of therapy <laughs> i'm gonna be honest a lot of therapy and honestly also just really really am surrounding myself with artists like finding good artist community is important because then it's like okay all of us are in the same boat like it's not just me by myself feeling this um which then makes it less of a feeling if we're all you know publishing and getting work out and thinking about these things and but we do it anyway it's like okay yeah 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 it's less of a a thing and more of just get over that and do the work and get the work out here to do what it's supposed to do on its own
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I always wonder if it seems like um I wonder if everybody feels that way and we just get better at hiding it over the years (laughs) like I wonder you know if um if, um, you know, does Patricia Smith feel imposter syndrome? Is that, is that possible still? I mean, I, I don't know. Or eventually, does it go away? I, I, we'll have to have her on and ask her. But um,
2: let me know what she says. I'll watch <laughs> when that one comes up. I want to know.
0: Um, do you want to read that poem that you mentioned, um, uh, whichever about that relates to that? Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. That one is on page 79. Okay, thanks. And y'all will hear the imposter syndrome at the bottom um, or at the end. I do want to talk about it a little bit help y'all get into it because I know you know readers and viewers are all in different places um, with what you read and don't read so um a little bit about it this poem was written um after June Jordan's essay nobody mean more to me than you in the future life of Willie Jordan um and it's an essay I taught and I love teaching it I, t- I love teaching June Jordan period but I love teaching this essay and her essay something like a sign of for Phyllis Wheatley every time I can teach it I will but um in this particular essay, she's with students, and they're reading The Color Purple, and they're like, oh, no, 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 like, this is not right. Who writes like this? Uh, who talks like this? And she's like, okay, well, let's, you know, these are Black students, and she's like, well, let's talk about this. Let's come up with some rules for language and African American um, vernacular, English, so AAVE." and so they come up with terms, like, uh, rules for how you should use B, and um, and so this poem is called Rules for Defining Be and Obedience to June Jordan and Rebellion Against Standard English. I'm gonna read it. I'll be in my head on things sometimes. Be right in the middle of something and be thrown right off by my own self on was, could, would, and maybe. I'll be wondering if I'll be anybody else, be anywhere else, if be and be different. Be like Beyonce don't have loans, be like flies just fly, be like, why I can't just be some rich man's boo, be folding clothes or be on the phone or be reading and be like, I can't be no bomb for my block or my hood or this school or this world or some man or people I only read about. Then I'll be having to stop myself because I'll be forgetting to finish what I'm doing. Be forgetting to be where I'm at. It'd be getting bad though. Walked in the class and was thinking, been waiting on walking in here and being me. Been wanting to walk down the street in Harlem and in Philly without being pressed up on. Be yawning and they be like, baby girl, you be needing to be in bed earlier. Been writing this poem and been thinking about my man and been wanting to not worry. Been wanting to not be so hard with him when he be wearing his hood up. It do be cold, but he mind. And I be needing to believe that we be all right where we be. And I be so mad that I can't be mad. And I be listening to that salon song, but it don't be working sometimes. I've been in my feelings on these things off and on, be wondering why I gotta be so wrong and be working so hard to be so right. And I ain't never gonna be right because it ain't never gonna be right. So why I'm reading all this Jordan and Shakespeare and Smitherman and Plath and theology and poetics and news? Why I'm doing all this school? Why I be wanting to make more people to be where I be and they ain't gonna be able to be breathing without grieving? I be wanting to put this out and be wanting to feel right doing it. It just ain't right or. I be something I can't be right now, so I can't be having people reading this, being all confused about how poetic, how genius, how well-schooled I really be. I be thinking too much, was thinking too much. Be having to say, girl, stop, you be too much. This be what it is. This be enough.
0: Yeah, I love that. I'm glad you're it. Right. my favorite in the book. Um well, thank you. Again, that is um, um, Rules for Defining Be from uh, My Sister's Country. And I was wondering, too, as I was reading the book, where do you think poetry lives? Um, you know, because your poems both play a lot with the page and, and the layout uh, on paper, but they also have so many voices collaging in with song lyrics and things like that. And it seems like great like performance-type poetry. Um, how do you, you know, where do you think of, of your your how do you think of like your audience consuming your poetry? Do you think of it listening or do you think of it as the page or both? How does that interplay as you're writing a poem?
2: Yeah. Um, I'm actually I'm thinking of, well, I haven't started yet, but I guess in my brain I'm writing a craft essay <laughs> on these kinds of things. But yeah, um, with print, I understand that my reader is going to be reading it. So I do think of it as that. Um, my hope is that they attempt to read them out loud. So that they also can get the sonic quality there, but what I think the beauty of poetry is is that because you know it is metered um, and language in general, right? Uh, mostly iambic pentameter, <laughs> right? But yeah, it is metered. So there is um, even without having it change the sonic environment, um, there is still a way to read it that you can get some, you can get the cadence and you can understand it. Um, and I think you know a lot black readers from my experience also will be able to like lean into a lot of that and have access to it a lot easier, I think. But um, like you said, I think reading it, I've had many people tell me that the poems broke open for them in a different way after hearing me read them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that the performance of language on the page um, is where the poems live, Mm -hmm. but they also definitely live in my mouth and in the the performance of me, like reading them. Um, And I love that about My work, I think, um, I'm very aware of the fact that when I read, and I think most all poets—I mean, I can even say Patricia Smith, right—hearing her read um, as a like slam poet and a performance poet as well, right? Hearing, reading her books, um, and then also like listening to her, there's a similar experience, but also a very different experience, Mm -hmm. right? And the poems live in both places, so I think uh, a poet is aware of the way that the reader will interact with it. Um, and always understanding their audience, but mm-hmm. very much so, I know that there, there's a performed quality to these that works really well.
0: Yeah, it's just an it's an interesting thing because you know, for we hadn't nothing but the oral tradition for you know three yeah. hundred. 300- they're 30,000 years or however long. And then and then we had the printing press, and all of a sudden we had books, and we had a, a written tradition. And, mm-hmm. um, and that was like the easiest way to disseminate things. And now we're back to the stuff like this, where we can yeah. just hear you read your poems. Yeah. And we don't need to have the book. And I, was, I mentioned I was at a literary arts festival yesterday. And, um, you know, walking by the booth, you know, nobody cared about the books, but then only had a poetry slam at night. It was like a packed house and everybody loved it. Like I, I, it like just, it was, couldn't be more stark because it was like, oh, these are poetry books. Okay. See ya. <laughs> and yeah. then, but then when people were actually like being human beings, performing them, um, you know, it just, everything came to life for an audience. And so it just, as much as I love books and, and I, I feel like almost worried that, that, That you know this kind of experience which is great it might take away from the book experience like like books might be an accessory to reading rather than the other way or you know performing rather than the other way around so I don't know it's just something I've been thinking about and trying to it's since doing these podcasts which are like my favorite thing to do I love hearing poets read their own work it's great but then it almost makes the book like like why do we need the book (laughs) and I don't I hate that thought so
2: yeah um, I think and that's interesting yeah I think um so there, it's weird, right? And I, I haven't really thought too much about it. But even studying the tradition of poetry, like you were just saying, um, and of course orally, um, even you know, outside of any European context as well, like poetry was living um, and breathing without written text, but. There's also, you know, like I said, Black Arts, whom I'm heavily uh, influenced by. So, you know, there were albums like Gil Scott Heron and Nikki Giovanni, and they had like poetry albums, Um, Jane Cortez, The Fire Spitters, And um, I think, like you're saying, I think more people, and unfortunately, I think it is the way that we've been cultured in even our academic system, right? Where people are more comfortable listening to poetry mm-hmm. than they are reading it. It seems scary and heady and like, that's for like really smart people. Um, and I think uh, in the ways that it can be made accessible, it should, it, it's helpful, but um, for those who love the page and like to read it and study it and care about line breaks, I think the books are always gonna be there. But yeah, I think the spoken word does reach a broader audience because it's less scary for people and i don't know i think in some ways hopefully we can pull them together to to make it less scary so they want to buy the book too right but yeah yeah, i'll have to think about that thanks for giving me something to chew
0: on um let's see so i I think i want to talk a little bit more about your just writing process we haven't mentioned that like how do you you know if you do you write frequently do you revise a lot do you um you know, do you wait for inspiration? You know, does something spark you? How does, how does your writing process, how does a poem, how does a poem come to be?
2: Yeah. See, listen. Um, so what people don't talk about enough, I wish they had, uh, this is, you know, shout out to all those MFAers doing it. It is a weird experience leaving the MFA and trying to like, (laughs) trying to get a writing process together. So of course, like during the MFA, Masters of Fine Arts, two years That's what I'm doing. Like, I'm living, breathing, writing all the time. Like, something happens, um, I don't know, TV show, I can write. Like, I'm just there and I'm in it. Um, And that's what most of this, when most of this book was written. um, And I'm writing for a workshop, I'm writing for myself. I'm just literally eating, sleeping, breathing, eating, sleeping, breathing poetry. Um, and so my process was much different than, uh, than it is now that I, I have a nine to five and, um, I, you know, have a life that I'm married and I take out the trash, <laughs> and I'm, you know, cooking and like doing all these things and, um, you know, finding ways to be present with my partner as well. Cause he has a demanding schedule. So the process has been different. Um, I will say like, uh, Peggy Robles Alvarado, uh, has been a really big part of my writing process. She's uh, doing a lot with um, Robles rights and uh, women in creative rebellion, like all these things. And so i have gone to, and that's unfortunately, but fortunately what COVID has brought us, right? Is the ability to connect with people through zoom and all these other things. So most of my community, I live in San Diego is still in New York and that's where Peggy's based. But she was having these free workshops. She's like, come on, come through, like come talk to people. And so I have writing groups there, like people I check in with um, bi-weekly. So shout out to Ray-Jane, Amanda, Miki, Maria. But we all meet regularly, like every other week. And it's just for, sometimes it's an hour, sometimes it's two hours, sometimes it's 20 minutes, whatever we can do. But, and sometimes we're not talking about poetry at all, but staying connected to that community has been really important to me. Uh, And so my process has honestly been since... That the MFA experience. Um, I wake up early and I do the morning pages from uh, Julia Cameron. (laughs) I will say I'm that person, but it's been so helpful. Um, And then I set aside time once a week to be accountable so that even if, you know, I come with just one poem, when I come to talk to my community on Zoom, I have something and we might not even touch the poem, but I've done something that I can, you know, say I'm bringing to the space and honoring that all of us have decided we're going to keep each other accountable. So i mostly after the morning pages, I write poems because I have time to, mm-hmm. and that is like four thirty, five 5.00 AM. Like I get up <laughs> and I get it done. And then um, other times, because of the particular project book I'm in now um, and it's on black women saints and I'm, gonna be working in persona which is a new form for me um other times i have to set aside time for research because i have to get into the space of like who this person is and actually in a lot of ways conjuring them for lack of a better term right like who were you as a person and that takes a lot of time to like be in that space to then get the poem out Um, so that's my current process but i feel like the best thing about understanding process for me is it has been leaning into the truth that poetry will always be for me. Mm-hmm. So no matter what my schedule is, I just have to figure out when it will be, but it will always be. And it doesn't mm-hmm. have to happen like the MFA. Cause I went through a little depression where I thought like I was failing as a writer like I'm not writing every day. I don't have five poems a week like written. Like what's wrong with me? Um, and that's just not my reality now. And it's still there and it's still amazing. And Lucille Clifton had a bunch of kids <laughs> and wrote a lot of poems. So I'm in good company is that I try to tell myself like it's it's doable. Um so I hope that answers your question. I you feel know. like no, it definitely
0: does. And it's interesting. It's something that hasn't really come up, I don't think, on the show before. But if you have been through an MFA program, there is, I think, maybe a universal depression afterwards. <laughs> because yeah, it's everybody such a, I know. Like when people ask me if they should go to an MFA, I always say if you can afford it or they pay, you know, because yeah. it's an amazing experience just to be able to have, you know, deadlines every week and to be mm-hmm. so focused on writing. It's just so fun. I mean, it's like a artist retreat but for the entire two years you're doing it it's amazing (laughs) and then you go back to the real world and you're like oh i don't have time for anything and no one
4: cares (laughs) yep no both of those feelings yeah
0: exactly um well we have time for i think two more poems probably so Mm -hmm. do you want to do your second to last one and then uh we'll see if we have any questions from the audience
2: sure sure i'm gonna do um let's do one that's not in the book as well i've never Read this publicly, so I'm really excited that you gave me the opportunity to do this. Tim, um, excuse me. It's more true than it hurts. Um, it's the one of the two that was in Poetry Magazine. I've just never read it, but it fits within the themes of um, my sister's country. And honestly, if I had written it when I was writing these, it would be in the book. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it's just um, a good one to read with these these other pieces. Um, it's more true than it hurts. Whereas for some, it was a shoe or a slipper or a switch or a hanger or an extension cord. Whereas for me, it was a belt or a wide open palm that preserved me, kept me unspoiled and humble. Whereas my mother can only recall being held by the throat once when sneaking in after curfew. My satin robed grandmother waiting in the vestibule my mother's tiny body exalted and pressed against the floral wallpaper. Whereas my grandmother's fear will never cause more trauma than a sore throat and a long myth. Whereas what happens to a black girl child who doesn't come home or does stay out too late in 1976? Whereas for my mother, what happens to a black girl child who is beautiful and quiet and free where the world is unlovely and expensive. Whereas one of them sat four desks over from a girl who left school 11 and pregnant. Whereas my grandmother has one daughter and my mother three and there are no sons, just scared, solemn faced fathers. Whereas I have never levitated or skipped school or been pregnant or known the slap of anyone with whom I did not share a name. So. Is protection the thing they gave me to cry for? Am I more well acquainted with obedience or happiness? Whereas they are the same victim, whereas I know well the fear of God, it brought me into this realm out of spite and uses everything it can reach to keep anything from taking me
0: out of it yeah and that was uh, it's more true than it hurts from poetry's uh, december 2021 issue so so what was it like getting a first acceptance to poetry magazine that's like some dream that uh, most people don't get to experience um did you did you flip out
2: <laughs> i did i did i was just like it's coming together for me <laughs> that's how i felt like i genuinely um like i said and you mentioned it the post mfa mini depression I don't know if mini like works well there but it's uh it's real for a lot of artists um myself included and I think um trying to just I spent a year and I know that doesn't seem like a lot of time but two years I think trying to like just submitting the book out and not getting anything and wondering like what am I doing (laughs) did I waste money uh what's happening so I think um when Erica Hunt selected the book for which I'm eternally, eternally grateful. Um, and I started getting, you know, publications started to, to come in. I was like, okay, this feels right. Like, this is what it's supposed to be. And then Poetry Magazine, of course, and the Ruth Lily. And I'm like, over the moon excited. Mm-hmm. Because this is, you know, I've, in my view, I have two careers. Um, my sponsor programs work um, as a research administrator. Uh, and this writing um, career and both of them you know one is feeding me right now while the other is what I choose to do with my life because I know I can't do anything else and so being accepted into poetry magazine also like honestly also being accepted into rattle I'm like yes okay <laughs> like I'm doing something right it's coming uh to be the way it should and I'm really happy that um they selected the poems they did because I, I I'm very very proud of these pieces as well
0: so i thought you were um adjuncting so you're you're um you're working as a what did you say research
2: research administrator yes what does that mean yeah i was adjuncting um but san diego got expensive Mm -hmm. and (laughs) um honestly i think people don't talk enough about the importance of choosing so um, one of my mentors had mentioned that a career that won't allow you to write is one you can't have and ironically while people will be like oh you're teaching of course like that, you're living eating and breathing writing and it's like no i actually had less time to write because i was so concerned with you know picking up extra classes and trying to make it work and a very very expensive very
0: very expensive no, don't, you have to don't tell, tell me, me. <laughs> or yeah. we're not in the middle of nowhere so we wouldn't have to you know to pay yeah it's yeah. just
2: like it doesn't it doesn't work so um research and sponsored programs is what i was doing when i had that boss who was like you gotta do something um and i was doing that work at lincoln university and uh now i'm doing that work at ucsd university of california san diego but in essence i am doing the clinical trials portion of it so what that means is I review agreements and uh, CDAs, which is like non-disclosure agreement, agreements between the university. Uh, I work in pediatrics, so the university and uh, the sponsor mm-hmm. and um, decide, so CDAs, uh, what else? agreements, so CTA contracts. I basically, long story short, I review contracts from sponsors on clinical trials and I talk to the PI, so these doctors, these really important scientists, um, and their study teams and nurses and decide if these are studies we can do and if we can get them funded. And I carry them through that process of funding and making sure that we reconcile budgets and such. So I read a lot of, I do a lot of reading, but I'm reading a lot of documents that are sciencey and <laughs> looking for budget information and then creating these budgets.
0: Yeah. I think that's something that's not talked about enough. Is it how draining it is to to be a, either a teacher or an editor, um, you know, you, you, the dream is to like have a job where you're doing poetry all the time, but yeah. then it's just it's hard to do your own poetry. You know, it's exhausting and and it's a weird way that we like train to be kind of poets through these programs and then we go off and be a, a te- and we're drained of the ability to do you know <laughs> yeah. and so having a job that's somewhere else that uses a different part of your brain so then that then it can be like exciting when you get home and you're using the creative part of your brain it's it's something that i think is a it's a great track to take you know so it's really good to see i think it'd probably be much more productive than if you had to teach every day like six courses a semester or whatever yeah
2: and i think also Ultimately, for me, I mean, yes, less exhausting in certain ways, more exhausting in other ways. But I think it was honestly for me, and and different people are wired differently. Uh, for me, it was the, like honestly the stress about money. Like, um, so yeah, I have to pick up an extra class and take more time. And mind you, I'm teaching writing intensive courses, so it's not like I'm preparing the lecture and we're done. Now I have like 60 papers <laughs> to, to read and grade, and. Um. Also, like forty poems to look over, and it just yeah, it became exhausting. Um, but I had to do it, and I also, you know, I guess I'm speaking for adjuncts in this way. But um, we also get this. We don't get paid for the summers. So if you don't have something else lined up, you yeah. got to figure out yeah. another job. And um, there's the truth that you don't get paid for the time you're prepping for the course, and also the time after. The semester's over if you're still wrapping up grades or meeting with students, or like if you're an invested teacher, like I am, like some of my students who graduated um, have my phone number and they're publishing poems, and I'm so proud of them. But that all is not work I'm compensated for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it just was like, I, I can't, I couldn't do it. I mean, maybe living in another city because we're looking at you know what possibilities there are if San Diego continues to. You know, gas is like $20 a gallon, it feels like. But, yeah, I think moving somewhere else, maybe it will work. But in San Diego, it was
0: yeah. too much. Well, we had a whole issue of Adjunct Poets, issue 53, I think it was. And it was it was depressing. I mean, it was it was just I felt so bad for all the, the, the stories in the back. And, I mean, just how hard that, you know, piecing together. Mm-hmm. Some people are going to three different colleges, four different colleges, oh. and commuting to each one, picking up two courses here. Like, so much workload just to mm-hmm. make ends meet. It's really an exploitative practice that we're we're doing um you know in the in the uh, academic institutions yeah um yeah and the
2: thing is departments couldn't function without adjuncts
0: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. they
2: really appreciated as such because somebody takes sabbatical then nobody wants to take their classes or can um and oftentimes a lot of departments don't have poets so or they only have one or two so if a poet leaves then you have to use the adjunct poet to teach those classes and nobody else can and they're appreciative but not compensated, mm-hmm.
5: um, you
0: know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like saying like, "Congratulations for getting out early." <laughs> <'Cause> everybody <laughs> I know who's left it is just happy or doing other things. Like I know somebody who went and is doing um, they're writing like like manuals for the army or something. And oh, it's, it's, it's so, she's so much happier there. Like people actually appreciate her and, and you know, and, and she has a set time and then it can write and do other things other times. I don't know. So it's, it's tough. It's a tough setup. Um, anyway, yeah. hey, we're about out of time. So let's do uh, the last poem that you want to share.
2: Yeah. Um, I read the last poem earlier, which was B, so I'm going to do my sister's country.
0: Ah, I the title poem. The, yeah.
2: Yeah. We can do that
0: one. It's 23. Sorry. If you're looking at I Thank found that you know. one first. Yeah.
2: I was like, wait, what? <laughs> okay. I had the mom marks and then I think I un- undog your thumb. Um, so my sister's country, page 23. Thank you, Tim. Um, and this poem explores the way that um, I first, when I was conceiving of country in terms of in my life, when it started outside of of course, claiming my mother's body <laughs> as, a, as a, a fetus, um, This poem is exploring the ways that I saw as creating country like in my grandmother's kitchen. Um, So it is a confessional poem in that way. My Sister's Country. In the moments after his mania, I pick eggshell shrapnel out of my sister's eyes and ears and memories in my grandmother's kitchen. We hard boil hearts and devil them, room temperature bite-sized servings that put the meat back on our bellies that keep us possible We crack open the calabash and cleanse with proverbs and the fantastic about the women before the women before the women before us who homed with the men before the men before the men before him. My mother compares her recipes to the myths. My grandmother ices our feet. My sisters count their scars. I watch. My mother leads them back to our home, to their rooms, to him to a fresh dozen. I follow. I am wondering why we leave my grandmother's kitchen. Why we leave holding each other to hold cold yolk and white to sweep up the aborted chicken fetus cocoon pieces for atomic warhead hymn. Why I leave watching for warring. We hear our mother try a different way of whisking. We hear him plead Black American man hypermasculinityenza for war crimes. My mother forgives without promise of reparation. My sisters build a country in me. I build a country in my grandmother's kitchen. Here, the women have callous feet and nimble fingers. Here, it is criminal for men to make breakfast. Here, Mars wears red nail polish and the scent of white diamonds. And I watch
0: her watch me boil. Again, that was the title poem to My Sister's Country. Um, Alexis V. Jackson, thanks so much for being a guest. It was a pleasure talking to you and okay. sharing this beautiful book of yours with everybody. Um, I appreciate you being here.
2: Appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. Yeah, take care. You too.
0: Okay, we're going to take a quick break and go to the open lines now. The the prompt for this week was... Um, was to uh, write about your earliest memory. So um, get that those poems ready. Um, but in the meantime, visit Alexis V. Jackson's website. You can find it at um, Alexis V. Jackson, just like it is on the uh, on the title here on the book, AlexisVJackson.com. So check out the website, My Sister's Country, available from Core Press Institute. And I um, hope you'll pick up a copy. So I'm going to take a quick break. We will be right back in just a few minutes or a few seconds i guess i should say um see you soon and we're back thanks for your patience um as i mentioned if you would like to share a poem it's open mic that's openmic.com. email the poem there um, and then find the zoom link and join us on zoom to share it um, um i think today i think we could do two, if you have two poems if you happen to have two poems this week um, feel free to share two i think we have plenty of time uh, we don't have a second guest or a third guest, and um, um, I don't know, I'm not rushing out terribly fast, so so it's a two-poem day if you would like, and uh, let's go first to Mike Bales. He's right up here. Let's see. Hello,
6: how's it going? Good. How you doing, Mike? Ooh. Pretty good. Um, you asked for background information, that URL information always on the submission thing. In lieu of having a website, I... Posted this interview of me that was put, posted on uh, Poetic Bloomings. Mm-hmm. That's the background information. Um, the poem I read, I wrote was I listened to a thing called um, I listened to this web on Being by Krista Tibbet. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. she's had she said a neat way of talking about how plants are intelligent living things. She's done this more than once. I might have even submitted a poem based on her one time before, but this is based on something that came back up last week um, about a botanist, and she's talking about things being beautiful, and the the her lead professor is telling her she ought to be an artist instead. Oh. So I wrote, wrote that poem in, in subtext of things. I'm revising it slightly at the end here.
0: Okay, well, why don't you go ahead? I have it.
6: Okay, in subtext to things, a botanist sees the beauty in, in a preponderance of yellow pressed against violet in a field. Her professor says she ought to be an artist. He tells her to avoid calling each plant by name and make each a subject so it can be measured. The subject says to call each plant it or by species name. She says she can feel each one's pain. Yet unobserved bees outdoors attracted by the colors pollinate more. A field in bloom reaches for the sun. Moss without name clings to rock, and in and in time turn it turns to sand without notice, unhypothesized. Yet the student asks for a kinder world, a deeper level of understanding, of life objectified and sharded. Each weekend she stands barefoot. In a field of clover, she holds dear. As a breeze speaks to her, a whisper, a soft cry, a greater a greater calling she hears.
0: Great, yeah, thanks for sharing that, Mike. Uh, that was uh, in the subtext of things, the title I have. What did you call it? You call it something else, right?
6: Um, In subtext of things, oh, I got the okay. name right this time. <laughs> Last time I threw you because I didn't get the title right. Um, <laughs> That's the title. It was the thing I submitted to poets respond
0: gotcha. this week. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Mike. Always a pleasure. Love your work. Okay, thanks. Yep, take care. Um, and I was trying to think about. I forgot to mention, and what I forgot to mention is that you can send poems about anything you want. So you can do news poems. You can do. Uh, you can do the prompt poem. You can do um, uh, poems that you've published recently and are you're proud of. We can just share the link, which is always fun. So uh, email that to openmic. At mic, openmic Oh, open M I C at rattle.com. Sorry, I'm tired today. It's, it was a late night last night. Um, let's go to uh, Let's go to Stephen Croft. Hey Tim. Hey Stephen, how you doing? Is this your first time out, or have you been on before? I couldn't remember. No, I've been on before. Okay, couple times before. Okay, well, good to see you again. So, uh, what do you have for us?
7: Um, this is a poem about Ukraine, and I uh, I wrote this for Poets Respond, but. Uh, wrote it on Tuesday and thought I would try the new verse news first because they usually get back in a couple of days. Well, I was successful there, ah, but cool. I had a, I was working up a contributor's note for poets respond. And this was part of it. College orchestra was surely the world favorite when it won the Eurovision song contest over the weekend. I was particularly struck by the official video for the song released a few hours after they won. So that had a lot to do with the poem. Um, I was also uh, bouncing it off of uh, the sort of chestnut by Heraclitus that is always mentioned when journalists and even academics write about war. Mm -hmm. Um, So this poem is called, Let Peace Be the Mother of Everything. War is the father of all things, Heraclitus. From the internet, I read about the bombardment of Barcelona by Italians, Germans in 1938. Watch the movie-toned footage of children running, the torn arm of a father's tweed jacket dark with blood, even in the films black and white. Omen, prelude of what would come. Today, Germans, Italians, the rest of us condemn the bomb's carnage in Kharkiv, Kyiv, Mariupol. The UN was founded in 1945 to prevent world war and make the world better. A gradualism powered by hope, a world where the center will hold, held by our civilized will, forged from what we all want and what we know we did wrong. But those bomb melted multi-story wrecks of buildings in the gritty, jumpy newsreel are grimly colored in today in Kharkiv, Kyiv, Mariupol. War could never be a mother, not that she couldn't cradle a rifle as easily as a baby, plant a garden of mines. But motherhood is too likely to want the peace to nurture children, is too ready to negotiate to drop the aim of a final strike on the wounded, seeing her own sons and daughters in them, their mother's pain. Even if it, she starts small like an opening bud in spring, compassion could start at a steel plant in Mariupol where bloody bandaged men are being stretchered out to buses today on CNN. Negotiation could spread to Kharkiv, Kiev, Kherson, Luhansk, Mikoliev. Peace could become a warm-bedded garden, now the mother of everything.
0: Yeah, excellent poem. Glad I found a home in New Verse News. Uh, you can find that at newversenews.blogspot.com, and they're just a great resource. If people haven't uh, haven't visited there, please do. Um, it's, uh, it's another, you know, parallel pose respond type place, but they publish more frequently, which is really good. And also you can watch this video, um, of, um, the Kalush Orchestra, which I know better than to play because I'll get a, they, they, uh, they put ads on your, your, your show. If you, uh, uh-huh. if you play stuff like that, but, uh, but go check it out. I'm sure it's great. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Steve. Well,
7: I've got one more if there's time. Yeah, sure. What, what else? Okay. Um, and hopefully you got it. Uh, this one is, uh, June 4,
0: 1937. And you have that one. Um, did you email it or did I I look at it? I emailed it. it. Okay. Let me, uh, let me see. It's at the bottom
7: of a series of poems by me.
0: Okay. I think I see it here from synchronized chaos.
7: Yeah. Okay. Here we go.
0: Yeah. All right.
7: Yeah. Yep. Um, Mm -hmm. All right. And I, Even though I didn't send this to you, I've got a sort of contributor note I just wrote up. I take comfort that even though war can kill people, poets, too, Lorca Wilfred Owen, it can't kill art, which is one of the best things inside of us. And this is June 4,
8: 1937.
7: Picasso adds the last thing to Guernica, a light bulb gives unity to chaos, bodies bend and bruise, rack and burn, scream at the sky, sword broken, baby dead, arms outstretched. The highest figure, the bull, still on its feet, tail floating like Luftwaffe in the sky above. People forever trampled in firebomb winds of shrapnel, bask victims of other people's wars. A light stays on forever, lest we forget.
0: Yeah, excellent. June 4th, 1937. And this is from um, a journal called um, Synchronized Chaos. Um, do you know anything? Is there anything you can tell us about that? It's, I'm not familiar with it. About Synchronized Chaos? Yeah.
7: Uh, yeah, they public, they've they been publishing every the first of the month traditionally. In the last couple months, they've also published uh, – in the middle of the month so mm-hmm. it's actually it actually comes out twice a month and in fact uh in the current issue i have uh, a book review by a friend of mine um it's a novel called lakewood and he is the editor of the james dickey review Oh, okay and if anybody at, goes to Synchronized chaos and looks at my review which they i recommend it because of uh, bill's novel if you scroll down you'll see that he's an interviewer not only on par with you, but
0: possibly Tim better. <laughs> <So> <laughs> well, he's just, been around a little longer. <laughs>
7: yeah, just take a look at it and uh if you can.
0: Yeah, well great. And that's at Sync chaos. It's S- chaos dot com. Sync chaos dot com. Um yeah, thanks for sharing those. It's I always love seeing new journals. It's fun to I'll check this out later. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Okay. For thank you. Yep. All right. And let's go next to uh let's go actually I'm gonna let there's a bunch of people in the waiting room. I'll let have to admit everybody there let's go to a dick westheimer next hey dick how you doing
9: i'm doing great glad you uh got a great weekend of i hope you have good weather for you oh,
0: well we always do i mean it doesn't rain it's it the last time it rains up here where we are is like May 1st and it won't rain again, which is a problem toward the end of the summer. <laughs> okay. But, uh, but it, you know, every day is beautiful. And as actually, it was, uh, 65, which I thought was going to be a little cool, cool, especially for like people coming up from LA. But with the sun, it was just beautiful. I, I'm glad it was, it was a little cooler. Cause I, we had a great time just hanging out at the booth, watching people walk by uninterested in poetry, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the slam was super fun.
9: You um, know, the thing you said about, um, uh sp- spoken word or spoken poetry or you know poetry readings for me i love the combination one of the reasons why i show up to everything you do is because you always have the poet speaking and and the and the text and those things combined together really make the poetic experience for me
0: yeah i think it's ideal too i love i love being able to you know hear it and read it at the same time it's just you get to everything all at once which is is the best
9: yeah um well, if if there still is time, I would read two. I'd read "Man the Namer," "Man the Namer" versus the Unexplained, which was a poets respond poem mm-hmm. about the hearings about um, 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 unidentified aerial phenomena, uh-huh. um, which uh, are you? Are I you a believer? <laughs> well that's the interesting thing i had a lot of difficulty finding my way out of this poem Mm -hmm. because i was predisposed to not being a believer yeah and so like i sat with the last with the poem sort of three quarters of the way finished because you just can't write to an end of a poem if you already have a preconceived idea so i kept you know rereading it and i think i came to a almost the poem probably needs work but Mm -hmm. I think I found a way out that wasn't predictable, if you knew me before I started writing the poem.
0: Interesting. Perfect. Well, let's hear it. This is Man the Namer versus the Unexplained.
9: Um, And the epigraph is from Ursula Le Guin, A Wizard of Earthsea, My name and yours, and the true name of the sun, um, or a spring of water, or an unborn child, are all syllables of the great word that is spoken. slowly spoken by the shining of stars. There is no other power, no other name. In the beginning, the God began with naming heaven and earth, light and darkness, water and sky. But the God tired of this work. There were so many creatures that swarmed the land and sea and filled the air above. After little thought, The God created a being he called man and said to him, these things I've brought forth need names and whatever you name, you shall have dominion over. And the man rubbed his new formed hands together and beheld the naked form before him and named her woman, though she proclaimed she didn't want a name. And without being asked, laid his hands on her bareness, then Turned, he turned his attention to the forests and fields and said cow, which he milked, and sheep, which he shore, and deer, which he hunted, and ox, which he yoked, and tiger, which he feared. The flying things he identified by feather and song, goldfinch and blue jay. chickadee, he said, and then bobwhite and loon, whose croon made him weep and crow whose caw secretly mocked him. And it was good, where it should have been, but man was running out of names and lost patience with this game. He forgot the names he once knew. Instead of Warbler and Wren, all he remembered was Bird. Venus and Vega became Star. Cirrus and Cumulus became Cloud. He even forgot the stories about such things, of the great sojourns across the sky, of the hammer-struck lightning and quothing ravens and coyotes who howled the world into being. And at last the man could only name the things he made, computer, car, mortar, war, the machines and screens between him and the things given him, like the sea and sky and swarming creatures. So, when the aliens came, in their saucers and glowing disks. The man named man could not see and did not believe. He named the people who saw such things kooks, made movie spoofs, told arch jokes on late night TV. He called the flying things unexplained, which was a curse for what man the namer could not explain. He could not own. And not owning is the worst that the naming man can suffer.
0: Oh yeah, very interesting. I love the way you where you went with that. Uh, very surprising, as you say. Um I'm not a believer myself either. I, I find the uh, the new ones just especially poor <laughs> evidence. You know, I mean, I'm just it, they're they're very blatantly, in my opinion, not anything. But
9: well, and and the thing that <clears throat> the thing that got me of these hearings were sort of justifications for further expense. Uh, you know, further defense measures to Mm -hmm. be aware of them. That that was sort of the tip off that these were for reasons other than just like sharing the news.
0: Yeah. Well, the the whole, the original UFO stuff was all Cold War propaganda. And actually I felt like that was the first or one of the first signs that the Cold War was coming back was that the UFOs came back. (laughs) So I think, you know, we're going to do a lot lot with drones and uh, I think that's what it is, cover and and messing with the the, uh, other side. Yeah. Um, well,
9: um, Art Art Bell would disagree with you. But,
0: uh, <laughs> he would. I love Art Bell, but I don't believe any of that stuff. <laughs> but, I, but I love the show. I used to. I still listen to the old podcast sometimes. Uh, or not. They're not podcasts. They're actually a radio show. It's before podcasts. But um, so yes. the other one is the blue boat in the deep green sea, and this would be your earliest memory, right?
9: Uh, yes, which which for me they're not a lot. So <laughs> so this this is a figment or sort of this is a. A phantasm, almost. The blue boat in the deep green sea. The last time I sailed with my dad, as soon as we got out of sight of land, he shed his life jacket and stuffed it under the sunfish's footwell. Your mother, he said, would be mad. Good reason, I thought. He was a dying man with shaky hands, and I'd never learned how to sail. The wind was offshore and the chop kept washing over the bow of the tiny craft. I thought about the only other time, a dream, perhaps. I was a little boy huddled in the hold of his wooden sloop-rigged drink-wigged, swallowtail. The sea seemed mean, a frothy green. The sail spruce boom was stalking me. He never once handed off the tiller or had me haul on the sheet. Other than that, he was a good dad.
0: Yeah, actually, I love that too. With the blue boat and the deep green sea. Thanks for sharing that. Always a pleasure, Dick. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Okay. Now let's go to um let's go to Nividita. Hello. Hey Nivi. How are you doing today?
10: I'm doing great, thank you. How about you?
0: I'm doing great. It's fun to kind of be back to normal after a long week of uh, of events and planning and promoting. It's nice to just have regular poetry stuff going on. Um, so so what do you have for us today?
10: Um, Something different for a change. I did not get to do the prompt poem, uh-huh. but I sort of got back to my old habit of funny new stories.
0: <laughs> oh, great. Um, let me try to find it. Did you email or submit that? Email. Email. Okay, let me... Uh...
10: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, okay, I see. So this is... um. I'll pull up the story. This is a viral video: dog helps monkey steal a packet of chips from a shop. And again, I can't show the video, so you're gonna to have to find it because um, they have this new thing where people own the rights to these videos, and then they they um, put their own I... tags underneath. Um, which is, I mean, I guess I understand like there is intellectual property. Hopefully, the people who took the video got some of the money. I don't know if they did. Oh. But somehow they somehow someone's got the copyrights to all this stuff now, and YouTube and Facebook can all recognize it, so you can't you can't play stuff in anymore if you want your show to be ad free. Um, but anyway, so so explain this. Dog helps monkey steal a packet of chips from shop, which uh, is here. So basically, the
10: dog is standing on all fours, and the monkey is sort of clinging onto the dog's back and just reaches up and grabs the lowest hanging bag of chips and both just scuttle away. <laughs> oh,
0: that's great. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch that later because that is a, a perfect, uh, yeah, that sounds like a perfect, you know, teamwork going on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so Okay, uh, so let's hear the poem.
10: Teamwork makes the dream work. This is not the most unusual pair of friends you may see, but it is certainly one to envy. For a shared love brought them together and now they're ready to face any stormy weather to grab that one elusive bag of chips and flee. Teamwork makes the dream work, especially so when it comes to a bag of chips and you won't believe the smirks once they had that elusive bag in their grip. Then they pranced away on all fours, the monkey high up on a tree and the dog behind a pair of huge wooden doors to enjoy their treat away from the prying eyes of everybody.
0: Excellent. Yeah. I can't wait to watch this video. And that, you can find that at um, ndtv.com and just type in viral video dog helps monkeys steal a packet of chips from a shop. Um, but thanks as always uh, for sharing that. Maybe it's always fun.
10: Yeah. Uh, I mean, Richard's poem was sort of about names
0: mm-hmm.
10: as was Steven's and talking off, I, An article that I read before this was also to do with names, and I was stuck between the two, and that one I think you may find interesting, Tim. It's about how um, researchers, I think, from New Zealand sort of went through studies from 2000 to now and found that parasitic worms are named mostly after male scientists and not female scientists, and the tagline was something like, parasitic worms get sucked into the gender bias debate or something Oh, interesting
0: like that. yeah oh i think i saw that actually i think i saw the headline yeah
10: i to play on words and i think the article is very interesting, interesting. as
0: well. yeah i'll find that too yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks stevie yeah thanks always a pleasure
10: thank you. thank you tim have a great
0: day yeah you too let's go to um let's go to let's go to aubrey hello everybody hey audrey how you doing
5: Really good. Very happy to be here. Erin um, Murphy uh, was fabulous when she was on mm-hmm. Radical and I was very inspired by her. Missed the following week, so I couldn't read my demi sonnet.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I love this form. It's really fun to write.
5: Me too. So I want to read that now. Um, and here we go. Okay. If all conundrums, could be solved in the systematic way I attack a wortle anagram, I would know why my mother was insidious and crept like poison ivy or the patient copperhead camouflaged in the pine straw of the garden beds before a forked tongue escaped her yawning
0: jaws. Oh, that's excellent. And so that form, we have the straw and jaws rhyme. Which right. is the way that, that circles through the uh, Debbie it form. Yeah, thanks yeah. for sharing that, Audrey. That was great.
5: I have one other. I didn't email it to you, but my first, one of my first memories, if <laughs> I could read that.
0: Yeah, yeah, go ahead.
5: Violets. I wish I could say I was forgiving. Forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it, wrote Mark Twain but my wounds don't so neatly mesh. They form keloids that grow larger than the wound, ropey reminders of pain, braids of violet stems, all perfume dissipated. So Mrs. Garth, I'll never forget my kindergarten year, sitting in the bad chair for asking another five-year-old her name on the first day of school. If there are violets on your grave, they stink. Thank <laughs> <Excellent>. you.
0: <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. It's a great first memory. Thanks for sharing that, Audrey. I,
5: I was almost a kindergarten dropout. It's amazing. <laughs> I became an educator.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That's great. Well, I'm glad you did. Thanks for sharing that.
5: You're welcome.
0: Okay. And let me, uh, let's go to, let's go to Andrew Tradinic. <clears throat> Hi, Tim. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing today?
11: Great. Um, yeah. Thanks, as always, for um, great guest. It's like it's like um, being at a uh, your your Rattlecast is like being at a um, being in a course where there's uh, constant guest uh, you know guest lecturers. And stuff. Oh yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. it's so good.
0: Well, that's how it is for me too. I get to hear people's insights and thoughts. It's I just love it. It's so fun.
11: It's just, yeah, infinite amount of learning. So thank you. Um, uh, I sent a, a childhood memory.
0: Yeah, can't shake off the feeling.
11: And the, I teach um, I teach theory of knowledge as part of the, the international baccalaureate course that, that we teach at our school. And um, uh, we often talk about memory. So that, that thing of that sort of asking students what their earliest memory is mm-hmm. um, is something I've done in classes. And um, of course, this poem uh, is about that. So um, yeah, Uh, can't shake off the feeling. And I've got a, a reference to Wendell Berry. I'm an ignorant pilgrim crossing a dark valley. And yet for a long time, looking back, I've been unable to shake off the feeling that I've been led. Make of that what you will. It's not so much the earliest memory itself, you see, but it's that they thought it was weird. Mr Tread, is it true that you remember being born with a suppressed guffaw somewhere in the room? I'm learning to be a bit hesitant now. The rumour's gone around. And one student said, you can't have memories until the hippocampus or some other brain structure or other is formed and that doesn't happen until we... Whatever. Well, you can't argue with a high school psych textbook. So you go a bit equivocal experiential in your explanation. What I do know is I used to have this recurring dream when I had a fever during one childhood illness or another. Childhood illness has them puzzled. So I go on, "Uh, the ones no one has anymore cause vaccines. Measles, mumps, rubella, chicken pox. I had all of them back in the day. And when I did, I had feverish, delirious dreams of being in a warm, pulsing tunnel. Not unpleasant, but intense, crushing me lovingly from all sides. Then years later, when I was there at the birth of my own children. uh Aha.
0: Make of it what you will, guys. Very interesting. Interesting look at that memory. Thanks for sharing that, Andrew.
11: Okay, thanks. Thanks, Tim, as always.
0: Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Okay. Let's go to um actually you know what? I have to let some more people in. There's a bunch of people in the waiting room again. Okay. Let's go to um let's go to Deb next. I think Deb might be a first time caller. Let's see. Hey Deb, how you doing?
4: Hello.
0: <laughs> um is it yeah, your first time? I-
4: um, I did, um, do, read a poem on the phone one time, ah, so it's the okay. first time there's a visual with me.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. We're finally to the number of episodes where I can't quite remember who's been on before and who hasn't. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it, for a while I could remember sort of everybody, but now it's kind of starting to, starting to get a little too many people, uh, which is mm-hmm. great, which is a wonderful thing. So, uh, so what do you want to share?
4: Um, yeah, so I, um, I'm, I'm a real, uh, new at this, uh, just recently got passionate about poetry and started to try to write. And um, I just found that there's a local uh, group of poets and they give an assignment every month mm-hmm. and gave an assignment to write, you know, from Walt Marie, which is kind of like a word puzzle or word game. And I happened to write that about, um, my mother's version of my earliest memory. And so then I thought, well, I should write my version of my earliest memory too. So I have both versions. Ah, And the thing I wanna, I I have two things to say before I read. One is that um, the Walt Marie, which is the second part, is a 10 line poem and all the even lines are two syllables. And if you read those two syllables, then it forms a little embedded mini poem. So that was like the word puzzle, word game part of that. Oh, that's interesting. I've never
0: heard of that form before. What was it called? A, a yes, Walmart, Walt Marie? I think it's just
4: Murray? like a, a <laughs> Walt Marie. And um, the woman who invented it, oh, I'm going to forget her name.
0: It's Candace,
4: someone? I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that was kind of fun. And I just also want to uh, say that I was um, at the beach with my family. And my dad, who's a good guy, took me for a walk, but got distracted when he ran into some old friends and I wandered off and he forgot I was with him. So when he got back to my mom, Uh she was kind of wondering where I was, but so she has her version of the story, but my version is the one that I'll tell first. (laughs)
0: Interesting. Okay. Let's hear it. This is uh, earliest memory prompt. This is Deb 10, Bob. I didn't, I didn't see your last name until I got the uh, email up, but here you go.
4: Yeah. Okay, so it's Memory Watercolors, a scene of two-year-old me, alone at the edge of the ocean, forgotten, a dot no one sees, sitting on wet sand, looking around, fringes of waves race in, tickle, then turn to flee. I laugh, solo by the sea, drenched in sun, is a salty, sweet place to be, ocean in front, beach behind, and I've become a curve of smile, breathing in my first memory of being, a watery streaming, melted and crisp. The briny ocean is a conjuring place to be. And then uh, part two, mom calling. A nurse, a dancer, a cancer survivor, my mom. If asked about her kids, she'd have 90 stories to tell. In one, I'm two years old, at the beach, ocean roaring. My dad takes me strolling, forgets I'm along, returns alone. Can you hear her calling? How she kept calling and calling my name. My mom, 90 years old, forgets my name.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Especially, I love that form and what you did with it. That's great. So the, for those just listening, the, the, my mom, 90 years old, forgets my name is, is embedded in that form with the two line or two. Yeah. That's like hidden in there. That's great.
4: Yeah. Maybe it could be a prompt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should do it for that as a prompt. Well, I already have the prompt. We'll do that a prompt next week. I think I'll, I'll put that in. And you have to, I, you have to like, did you, did you mention the form? Email me the form. So I know the name.
4: Okay. 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 Yeah.
0: I'll look that up and uh, we'll make that the prompt next week.
4: It's it, called a Walt Marie, like the Walt name and the Walt and the name Marie together. Huh. And the woman who invented it is Candace something, but I forget her last name, but I'll email it to yeah,
0: you. Walt, well, I could probably find out Walt Marie. Okay. And I'll put the name Candace in. See it when I Google, it just comes up with like Walmart and Mary Poppins. things. <laughs> so Walt Marie?
4: Okay. I'll, 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 I'll send you the information.
0: Oh, all one word. I see. Okay. So here, uh, there's a thing for, I uh... forgot
4: to say, I just love uh-huh. the interview.
0: Yeah, that was, she was great. I love that. And then her book yeah. is really, really fascinating. Um, okay. So I found yeah, this form. Let's make that the prompt for next week. Actually, it'll be fun. We'll, we'll change it up. So um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, thanks for sharing that. And, um, and we'll uh, we'll go to somebody else now. Thanks, Deb. Okay, thank you. Bye, bye. Bye. Um, I think I have to admit some more people. Let me see. Okay, so let's go to uh, let's go to Caitlin Buxbaum. Good morning. Hey, Caitlin, how are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great, great. So, uh, what do you have for us?
12: Um, it is a prompt poem. Um, I didn't use my very earliest memory and the one that I, it's kind of a litany of, of memories. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, my sister's birthday was yesterday. So, uh, that's what, what got me thinking about it. Just a bunch of memories we have. Um, and the first one, I'm not even sure that I really remember it. You know, I think there's a lot of early memories that I've heard the story. So I've kind of internalized like, yeah, I remember that. Or do I? (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty rough because I wrote it yesterday and I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with it. But um, this is Family Ties.
0: Okay, I've got it up. Go ahead.
12: On my sister's 32nd birthday, a week after my 30th, I think of all the times we hurt ourselves or each other. Jumping on the couch, she splitting her lip on the coffee table at three or four. Ice skating on Wasilla Lake, and she splitting her chin on it at eight or nine, the neighbor boy only telling our mom, Erin needs you. Jumping out of a tree with a rope tied around my waist at eight or nine, her slowly returning to the house for help as I screamed. Hopping on my sled on the hill above her at Crevasse Moraine to run her down, maybe 11 or 12, only to badly sprain my finger on a head-sized rock, mission failure. Playing badminton in our teens and accidentally hitting her in the eye with the birdie, her claiming I did it on purpose. The list goes on. But then, graduation, separation, nostalgia, bonding. Is there any pain that won't knit a person in your memory forever? Add love, and that blanket will never unravel.
0: I love that turn at the end. Family ties. Thanks for sharing that, Caitlin, and happy birthday. A little belated for last week.
12: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, that's why I missed it. Um, I was actually in New York City um, last weekend. That's a
0: long trip from from Alaska.
12: Yes, and it had to be a short one because I had to come back um, to finish out the school year. We just Mm -hmm. had last day of school on uh, Friday. So, phew, summer is here. (laughs) Hooray.
0: Yeah, great. Well, it sounds like a great great time, though. Happy birthday, and uh, thanks for sharing that poem. Okay. Let's go to, um, let's go to Jennifer Elise Wang. Hey, Hey Jennifer, how are you doing Hello. today?
8: I've been traveling. Traveling's yeah.
0: coming back now.
8: <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, I'm in Atlanta right now and I wasn't okay. sure that I would make it. So didn't get to do the prompt poem, even though I have an idea
0: that I'm working on. Very good. So what's, so, what's in Atlanta that's going on?
8: Um, so, um, at night I'm a burlesque dancer uh-huh. so oh, I am wow. doing an all Asian Pacific Islander burlesque show tonight
0: oh wow that sounds fun yeah so oh, that's
8: gonna be fun so um yeah I kind of took a cue from I think it was TR last week who was talking about reading old poems and kind of looking back and you know sometimes cringing but also appreciating that so uh, I, I submitted since I'm on my old computer I submitted uh One of my really old poems from like over 15 years ago from college. So uh, it's called Rockstar. um, And it was in response to one of the first concerts I ever attended.
0: Excellent. Well, let's hear it. I have it up.
8: All right. Rockstar. I see him. Eyes closed. Heaven's light shining down. His words are promising, revealing. He opens his eyes to look for a memory of a muse for the missing piece of his soul, lost in the crowd i wait and he continues searching finally our gazes make the elective connection every smile every wink every gesture closes the distance i reach out to grasp the emotions we share but they slip away with the fading melody and i am swallowed in a sea of like-minded souls i can never have him for he is untouchable
0: excellent it's so great to look back at old stuff isn't it that's fun rock star yeah, yeah, thanks for sharing that, Jennifer. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, take care and have fun tonight.
8: Yeah, thank you.
0: Okay, and let's go next to uh, Guy Chambers. Hi, Tim. How's it going today? Great, great. Good to see you, Guy.
13: Oh yeah, okay. I'm gonna a prompt poem here or not. And uh, one thing that I want to mention about you talking about early in the show there about uh, open mic reading and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and, or reading the poem. I always find sometimes you read the poem then actually hear the author read it it's kind of different it's still the same wing but it's just a little different more exciting mm-hmm. and plus seeing it on the uh, screen too and, and how the poet reads it it makes it really different sometimes you know
0: yeah yeah
13: like, yeah okay this is my prop poem this is uh one i call cookie jar and uh what happened uh this is one of my earliest memories because i had a, one time i written a whole bunch of stuff about my earlier days. Just uh, get it written down. And this one here is about my earliest memory. It's about a cookie jar. And uh, we had a neighbor that was a really super nice person. And, uh, of course, back in those days, nobody locked doors and nothing like that. But she gave me the option of uh, to come over into her shed, and she had a cookie jar there. Mm -hmm. Only once a day, I had to go pick one cookie, and that's it. And you can't do anything else. If not, the cookie jar take away. So this is what I kind of written about. It's kind of different, yeah. It's called cookie jar. In the porch, next door, on the shelf, a jar full of cookies, a jar of trust, a jar of goodwill. Waiting on the other side of the fence, small eyes lurk. Forecase gratifying. Once a day, small footsteps cross the yard to the porch, door Always unlocked. Opening the door. Quietly step in. Reach for the jar. Reach in. Polo, just one. Only one cookie out of a jar of many. Small eyes fulfill. Push the jar back on the shelf. Close the door behind him. Float back across the yard on Cloud Nine. Dream the rest of the day away for the next day cookie. Learning trust, being trusted, giving back trust, rewarded with another cookie the next day. Still today lives in those eyes. So that
0: yeah i love that yeah, so thanks but, for sharing that yeah
13: yeah see like just being trusted and you give the trust back you know it's just learned out very very young it's it really goes a long way in life there so mm-hmm. and uh i got another Michael poem right at the bottom there i don't know if you yeah, got it
0: there yeah, i see it there
13: yep rage
0: rage okay
13: rage rage in your head don't let it control your day
0: Excellent. Yeah, great advice, guy. Thanks for sharing both of those.
13: Yeah, like I say, like I was gonna read my some other poems about that because I got three poems coming up this week, being launched, and three different books here coming up this week. So, about maybe next week I'll read those ones there.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely these. looking forward to it, guy. Congratulations on the books. Okay, thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, that's great. All right. Take care. All right. Okay, so uh, it was Guy Chambers, and uh, let's go. So, Carol Newton, I see a video, but the audio's not connecting, so you might want to, like, log out of Zoom and log back in. I'm not sure what's going on, but I, I don't think we can get audio from you. Let's go to uh, Potter King Badro Donahue. Hi, Tim. Hey, Potter. How are you doing today? I'm
14: good. <laughs> I I was so bitterly disappointed, as we always are when we get rejected, on the post-respond thing, oh... But my poem is the best. Jesus. (laughs) Then um, I read Gordon Taylor's The Entertainers. Oh, that's a million times better than anything I could ever write. Yeah, well, I just
0: love the ending of that poem.
14: Oh, that was powerful. Like, Um, yeah, I don't know what I'm saying. Um, I have two two poems. I quickly did a response to the prompt Uh and then another poem, um, will I read both or one or neither?
0: Yeah, yeah, you can, do, you can definitely do both. Um, oh, okay. Okay, so uh, you don't mind if people see your email address, do you, bus poem? No, I don't. Okay, So because uh, I'm not going to put it in a word. I'll just put it up here. Um, so here you go. This is the Twitter found poem.
14: Oh, Twitter found poem, right? Yes.
0: Oh, I have the other one, too, if you want to start with that.
14: No, that's grand. Twitter found poem. Okay. Uh, Twitter found poem. Matisse, Georgia O'Keeffe, Yellow Taxis. Watch it now, four research-based strategies to ig- ignite intrinsic motivation in students. Aretha Franklin did not leave a will. The Green New Deal, excited, edge of your seat, women getting together to move boulders, agency resources. We're delighted to announce, Goldiger, we must vote for survival of our species. How could it be? Lukowski. Political Ecology of Agriculture, Pink Sweet Peas, 1926, Empty Mirror, No More Cats, Ever.
0: <laughs> Excellent. And then you get this this uh, picture too of a uh, lost fountain. And yes, uh, you can. <laughs> weird. Yeah. That's can... in
14: Dublin. And Dublin on the lampposts, it's kind of random bits of uh, guerrilla art just get posted. And some of them are good and some of them are just weird but i love them all
0: yeah very interesting yeah
14: they are very interesting and my uh response to the prompt uh is a haiku i know you love haiku i do
0: i enjoy haiku
14: i'm i'm learning to like them (laughs) a bit like i learned to like school (laughs) and this is called first day at school just seven long miles just those seven no jesus sorry First day at school, just seven long miles, just those massive gates closing, just the first bad day. Oh, Thanks excellent. a million, Tim. Yeah. Thanks, everyone.
0: Take care. As was always, always a pleasure, Potter. Okay, let's see. I think, let me try to, um... yeah, so I just can't get to Carol Newton. Um, the audio, the video, it's weird, I've never seen this. The video's connected, but the audio is not yeah, it says Carol Newton is connecting audio and can't hear you yet. So she can't even hear that we can't hear. So hmm. Um Yeah. Sorry, Carol, there's not much I can do. You have to see this later. Um, so so let's see. So let's go to so Ethna had a poem and had to leave just now. We didn't get to her in time. Let me share Ethna's poem. Um, this is a uh, after. Actually, this I should put in a word in a word doc to protect her from being doxxed. Okay. Oops, not that. Um, where's this? Not that. And uh, there. Okay. So here's Ethna's poem. After in the delivery room. I held the midwife's eye, unsure she moved aside her job was done, cocooned in a room made golden with joy. Mother drank tea and tilted her head, curious. She knew. Driving home, father opened the sunroof wide to bring the world close. Spring branches laced the sky, and the radio told how, far away, the earth shook and buildings wavered. I felt it to be a fitting welcome. In this new life, I will be an artist. Excellent. After in the delivery room. Uh, thanks so much for sharing that, Ethna. And uh, yeah, that was great. Sorry we uh, we couldn't get you in, in time. You had to leave. And that's Ethna. Her email says Ethna Longstaff. Is that? I think that might be different. Let's play Carlos Schwartz's poem, and then uh, let's do uh, Carlos Schwartz's first memory and this poem is um, called My Sister Remembers the Day I Was Born so here's Carla Schwartz playing that one I shuffled a lot of screens around here comes Carla Schwartz with with uh, there we go here's the poem
3: My Sister Remembers the Day I Was Born a Persona Poem by Carla Schwartz I remember at two the bundle mommy carried in her arms made a barrier between mommy and me eclipsing mommy's face. My son, the light that shined on only me until that day at two when I felt darkness wallowed in the shadow of my sister became a distant moon. This poem is inspired by what I know to be my sister's earliest memory, even though she might not still remember.
0: So, um, let me do the uh, prop poem, or not the prop poem, the uh, the poetry spawn poem, not the poetry spawn poem, the uh, the haiku. Jeez. So you can tell I'm really exhausted. Uh, but this was the psycho for today, and I don't I don't have a poem either. But I, I said I would write a poem every week. And I'm going to continue doing that. So I owe you two poems next week, and hold me to that. Um, this week was just too, too crazy to uh, to have any time to write. But this, so the Saiku, though, which I did write one, this is a, a very interesting uh, article here. This is from the University of New Mexico. And uh, so ghostly mirror world might be cause of cosmic controversy. And so there's a, there's a whole bunch of, you know, the, the standard model in physics um, explains a lot and a lot works but there are a few things that make no sense and one of them is hubble's constant um there's the whole problem of dark matter um you know and and we don't really know what that is and um so this this new research study suggests that there's actually a mirror world of particles that interact with our world only via the gra- the gravity um only via gravity so there's a whole world of particles that are a mirror of ours like for every every you know there's anti Anti-electrons and anti-protons in some other universe, um, and they interact just through gravity. So, uh, so that would explain a lot of the problems actually with the standard model. And the and so the idea there is that there could be a whole nother whole another you out there listening to uh, me bumble through the end of this podcast, um, but it's a whole nother me. And so here's the haiku for this week based on that. Mirror me writing this haiku about me. That's haiku mirror me writing this haiku about me that is the saiku for today that is the show for today now next week's prompt like i mentioned we're going to do this um you know switch switch gears a little bit and try this let's try this walt marie form and uh you can see i'll put a link in the uh, notes you can see it here walt marie poetic forms um it's, uh, Robert Lee Brewer Has this great Writer's Digest column He's been doing it For a very long time This is a new one though It's only a year old February 12th 2021 He did this Poetic form Fridays He calls it And he explains This Walt Marie subject Which is what you saw Earlier in the episode um, I think it was Deb That had that, that one Yeah it was Deb uh, Tannenbaum uh, but, but so every other line says two syllables And those two syllables Are pulled out Into their own short poem So a fascinating form It's going to be fun to write So that'll be the prompt For next week Write a Walt Marie poem and uh, next week's guest on the Rattlecast is going to be uh, Nancy Miller Gomez. So, we published Nancy Miller Gomez. Uh, her book, Punishment, is one of the chapbooks uh, that we published maybe three, four years ago about her work in the prison systems, um, teaching poetry there. Um, a beautiful book, very moving. Um, she's an amazing poet, though. She's one of the best poets I know who hasn't published a full length book. She's got this amazing manuscript that. I don't know how, you know, it doesn't win every contest that ever enters, but she's still working on getting it out. So we're going to share some poems from that and and read "Punishment," which again was related to the summer issues theme because we're we have a whole section of um, of poets writing in prison. That's um, roundcast number 146, the prompt to write a Walt Marie poem, and I uh, hope you enjoy it. Hope you have a great week, and I will talk to you soon. Have a good day. Bye.